0: Don't worry, Troublesome, he called back up. Maybe I'll get lucky and you'll become a ghost. I bet you'd wind up haunting one of the toilets. Yeah, right. Only a moron would think a ghost could haunt a toilet, she scoffed.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Remedial Magic Podcast. Uh, We're back again reading through Alexandra Quick and the Thorn Circle. Uh, We're back on a regular recording schedule this week. It's only been a week since we recorded last time, and uh, it does feel better this way. And actually, uh, we might be recording a couple of episodes today, so we'll see uh, if we can get that far, and also if we don't run out of our recording time, because what we've noticed, I think, is that we're a little bit long-winded when we get on the microphone. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but that's definitely how I feel.
0: You know, I remember there was a chapter early on, maybe it was six or seven, and you and I both looked at each other and said, oh, this is gonna be a short chapter, and I'm pretty sure we talked for an hour and a half, so.
1: Yeah, we're just, uh, at that point, we're talking about this book is a ton of fun, and it's kind of hard to regulate that a little bit, but we're gonna work pretty quick today. Uh, Today, we're talking about chapter 11, and I guess before we get into it, we do need to go over a couple of things. Uh, first, I just wanted to uh, make a point to everybody on Discord that we are reading the conversations that go on on there. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised to see that our last episode sparked a massive debate about whether or not we should be criticizing the rules of Quidditch because it is a made-up fantasy world. And while I think that it's fair game to talk about why Quidditch is a game that doesn't make sense... Uh, There's a lot of good counterpoints to that as well. So those of you that are on Discord, keep it up because that's part of my day now is checking Discord to see if there's anything I need to address, and that's pretty fun.
0: Also, don't know if I actually said this incorrect, but big apologies to Dr. Elliot, because I think I may have called her a nurse. That wasn't my intention. I have seen Scrubs, but it might have slipped.
1: You definitely called her a nurse.
0: That's unfortunate. (laughs)
2: For those of you that aren't on the Discord, we're talking about the Alexander Quick Discord, so if you want to be a part of that discussion, head over to what I would assume Alexander Quick Reddit page, and I'm sure that there's an invite link on there.
1: Um, It might show up in our link tree, I don't know. I think we could probably throw it in there for a few weeks, that way anybody who wants to get in could hop in.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got a little bit of space left in that link tree.
1: Yeah, any way we can grow the community at any rate is good enough for me, so... Uh, shout out to everybody in Discord. And then uh, before we hop into the main discussion here, Delbert, I wondered if you would like to successfully, with no mistakes, throw out our social media this week.
0: Boy, oh boy. So we've got our Twitter and our Instagram at the underscore RM podcast. And our Gmail is the podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us any emails. We will likely talk about them on the podcast. Also, feel free to conversate with us in both the Discord and on the Alex Quick subreddit. We're pretty consistently in both of those.
2: Also, we have a Facebook,
1: Remedial Magic Podcast, on Facebook. That's exactly right. And Actually, uh, one last thing to shout out about the social media is that Baylor is, of course, managing our Instagram and our Twitter along with our Facebook, and he's doing a great job, but I thought the tweet from today was especially well done considering the gif that you threw along with it, so... uh, Make sure you're checking that out too. is It's good for at least a chuckle. Yeah. I've uh, decided
2: instead of posting a boring photo that I just add some text to, I'm going to start using uh, more intricate GIFs and little videos as time goes on. So make sure you turn, tune in in order to be in that moment with me because I certainly chuckle every time I post
1: one. And I want you to be chuckling as well. <laughs> uh, I guess with that, as a reminder, last week we talked about Chapter 10. Uh, which was called Chicken, and it was called Chicken because a bulk of the chapter is Alex playing chicken with Larry Albo when they're at Practical Magical Exercise, and of course the chapter ended with Alex and Larry getting uh, sent to the dean's office once again for being knuckleheads and not doing things that they're supposed to do, uh, and that's kind of that what leads directly into the beginning of this chapter. So this week we're talking about Alexander Quick in the Thorn Circle Chapter 11, it's called, I just went to chapter 12, excuse me. It's called Jinxed, Uh, for good reason, something very fun, maybe not fun, I don't know. Something interesting happens this chapter, and so uh, we might as well just get right into it. What do you guys say? Sounds good to oh, me. I'm ready. All right, we're going to go ahead and get going with a three-sentence summary of chapter 11, Jinxed. Delbert, I'm going to have you start. Baylor, you can go second, and I'll finish this thing off so without further ado hit us with that first sentence
0: alex and larry have a fantastic conversation with dean grim
2: in an effort to make a make an impact on alex dean grim decides to punish her friends as well as her
1: once again alex's life is saved by charlie the raven
0: we may have missed one major part of this chapter. Maybe,
1: but, you know, that's what the discussion is for. Right. So, uh, yeah, as I said, last chapter ends with Alex and Larry getting sent to Dean Grimm's office. And this chapter begins with them arriving at the office and Miss Marmsley, the secretary portrait, of course, being totally appalled by the fact that they're back once again uh, for getting in trouble. And she says they sit down and she says, I don't want to hear Anything from you guys. And of course, they immediately start saying it's your fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. And uh, she doesn't like that too much. And so for a moment, if you guys would take on the mindset of a portrait playing the role of secretary, and the only thing you can do is yell at these kids.
0: How frustrated are you at this point? (laughs) Listen, I'm not a big supporter of, uh, is it corporal punishment? But sometimes, as this painting, I wish that I had a nice long arm to extend.
2: Yeah, I'd feel the same way. Little ki- little kids that uh, push the rules, let's say, typically annoy the absolute hell out of me. And so, just having to sit there, being like, man, I'm going to go eat my imaginary painted meal. And then hearing them <laughs> bicker anyways, and being like, I can't do anything about it,
1: uh, definitely would be frustrating. Yeah, it's... It's just one of these things, and it was pointed out to me recently that uh, while Alex is an 11-year-old girl, she's also a giant turdhead. You know, she's, she's not very nice. She doesn't really follow the rules, and so I can understand when the other characters are reacting negatively to her and being annoyed at the things that she's doing. And so they sit there for a little while. Uh, until it's finally their, their time to go into Dean Grimm's office. And it says her eyes are gray, cold, and expressionless when they walk in. And I can imagine that that's a pretty intimidating sight. And so, uh, when she goes to ask for an explanation, neither one of them offer one. And instead they both just kind of blame the other person again. And then we get, uh, a pretty interesting scene.
2: You have Dean Grimm go mad eye moody, aka Barty Crouch Jr., on Alex and Larry and turn them into delicious rats, at least in the eyes of her cat.
0: Not to pull away from the discussion, Baylor, but I have never once until this moment realized that that was Barty Crouch Jr. that did that. Makes total sense. I just never even thought of that. <laughs>
1: Uh, She does turn them into rats, and first of all, this is something that is clearly against the protocol at Hogwarts, right? Professor McGonagall is completely aghast at this happening, but this is kind of insane as a punishment because Dean Graham is so fed up with these guys that she turns them into rats and then has them guarded by a cat, right? I mean, my first thought in this situation is, oh my gosh, I'm about to be eaten by this cat. and what I mean, what's an 11-year-old girl and what a 12- or 13-year-old boy supposed to think here other than be an outright terror?
0: Yeah, from Alex's perspective, I mean, she's known that she's a witch for all of, what, three weeks now? And she's almost fallen to her death, and now she is a rat in front of a cat. Like, at that point, I might even be questioning whether magic is worth it.
2: <laughs> well, you kind of—Alex kind of does what she normally does. She's just kind of defiant about the whole thing. In fact, she even says in the book— I don't think it, Dean Grimm, as bad as she is, would feed me to her cat. But then you have Larry, who literally won't move and is shaking in terror.
1: Yeah, I mean Alex, of course, is is playing the role of not being scared of Dean Grimm pretty well here. She does, uh, she does kind of prove it by saying by thinking exactly that. There's no way that she's actually going to have us killed, and so she kind of starts to explore a little bit instead. You know what it's like to be a rat. And she even makes a note of. The weird sensation she gets from dragging her tail across Dean Grimm's desk. And that's uh, that's pretty typical Alex at this point. It even describes her as being filled with both fascination and annoyance, which is basically what her experience with the wizarding world has been so far.
2: Yeah, she even tries to push the bounds with the cat. Like, I believe she walks up in between the feet of the cat. Because, once
1: again, she doesn't think that the cat later.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a very thin line between stupidity and courage, and Alex has both.
1: <laughs> she does. I. She walks that very, very finely, and uh, it's made even more evident by the fact that Larry is standing there absolutely terrified, trembling and scared, and so I'm almost kind of wondering if it works in reverse. You know, Alex has only been in the magical world for a very short period of time, and so maybe she doesn't realize how serious something like Transfiguration can be, whereas Larry's been around it longer, as far as I know. And so he... Uh, since he's been around it longer, he might know something else about what this punishment could result in.
0: Right, so maybe he's, like, trying not to move or use his muscle groups or anything in case the transfiguration doesn't come back
1: normally? I, I don't know. I He's he's scared, and probably it's more so that he's just scared of the fact that he's now a rat and there's a cat watching over him, but uh, Alex Alex's ignorance of the magical world is showing here as well, I think. Yeah, like, Time and time again, she proves that
2: she, like, the, like almost as if there's endless bounds to magic. Like, she's not surprised that this happens, but she's like, man, I wonder what else will happen,
1: or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a big part of what's going on, and uh, when Dean Grimm comes back, you can tell that she's totally fed up with Alex. I mean, obviously, she's pretty annoyed anyways, but you can tell that she's totally fed up because... She makes the switch from like kind of mundane, almost muggle school like punishments with sending them to detention and instead swaps over to a pretty extraordinary form of punishment that, of course, could only be possible in the magical world. And it definitely feels that way. Right. She first extends their detentions all the way until Thanksgiving, which is still several months out, which as a kid, that would be terrible anyways you know you've just lost your weekend and your evening for three more months but on top of that she makes them apologize which to be honest being made to apologize i know from being a teacher was more scary than the actual punishment you know from the embarrassment of it i'm assuming they didn't do those though we never really see that in the chapter it might be that it's just uh assumed that it happens at some point. Uh, But she also, and this is, of course, the best and worst part of the punishment at the same time, lets them know that if they get within 10 feet of each other, if one of them tries to cast a spell at the other person, basically if they do anything negative towards each other, they're going to be turned right back into rats.
0: The old magical restraining order.
1: It's, It's, first of all, it's brilliant, right? It's a great idea for punishment. I don't know if it's ethical.
0: but Yeah, I mean, questionably ethical, especially after a big conversation about how it seems like they try not to obliviate people, but just warping them into another animal in any instance. <laughs> I mean,
2: sure, we'll go with that. My thing is, this is obviously pretty complex magic. <laughs> I couldn't help myself when I was reading this. Just thinking, like, sure, magic—you can do a lot of stuff. But is—is is this actually something
1: possible in the Harry Potter universe? Like, you can—it's like almost writing an action in D and D. It's a little bit like that, and it's also—it's very far past anything we saw in the in the original series, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you also have a little bit of, uh, <laughs> should I say, negligence, extreme negligence here? Because what happens if they're outside? Like, they're in a wooded area. There's going to be birds around. Like, if they go outside, turn into rats, and some non-magical, not intelligent birds happen upon them, probably the end of those two.
1: There is a lot of potential for disaster, but, of course, the immediate effect is that it kind of calms Alex and Larry down, at least in their acting towards each other. They still don't like each other too much. Um, And so she punishes them with all of that, But of course, this is, this is Dean Graham. And one thing we've learned about her is that she's not really above being unfair or using people to get other people to, uh, conform to her standards. And so on top of everything else, she also punishes Alex's friends by taking away their privileges to ride brooms and play broom sports for the rest of the year or the rest of the semester. And, uh, As I read through all these punishments, that's the only one that I was really like, okay, that's not cool. You know, that's borderline abusive, I would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not on her friends to be responsible for her actions. Like, maybe her parents, maybe if they were older, but these are 11-year-old kids you're now making responsible for someone that's clearly already acting out.
2: I will say that... Throughout the entire novel, since
0: Alex has been getting in trouble,
2: Dean Graham has been trying different different things to, you know, punish Alex in a way that will make it stick, I guess would be a good way to say it. And this is really the first time that you see Alex kind of react like, you know, well, this isn't the first time she's defended her friends, but this is kind of the first time that she's truly humbled by Dean Grimm, I would say. And it... It's almost as if Alex, when she first got punished and was defending her friends, she kind of showed her hand to Dean Grimm like, that's my weakness is these friends that I have.
1: Yeah, I mean, she definitely showed that she cared about her friends a lot the first time around. I'm I'm just kind of of the opinion that in this type of situation, even if you know that's going to work as an re- adult responsible for not only Alex but the other kids, that's not an appropriate way to go and effective or not, you know.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I just I just think, like you said earlier, Dean Grimm is, is fed up to the point where she's bending the rules, if not breaking them. This is probably uh, a, a good reason
1: why wizards don't use Facebook. I mean, I'm sure the parents <laughs> wouldn't be happy. We haven't seen anybody in a position to challenge Dean Grimm's authority. So, at this point, it feels like she has blanket authority to to govern the school as she feels is most appropriate... And, of course, in that situation, you're going to get some things that are bothersome to some people but not to the person in charge.
2: I also think that given what we know about Dumbledore, Dumbledore's thing, like he had the council or whatever, but he just did whatever the hell he wanted. <laughs> when the council came, hey, man, don't do that, he was like, try to catch me now and, like, disappeared for a while. You <laughs> that know, is so. true.
0: Dumbledore was a little bit of a loose cannon.
2: I can only assume that maybe Dean Grimm is potentially the same way because
1: she's kind of showing that. So there's potential for that. You know, Dumbledore was a pretty manipulative person when you dive past his surface level character and so it's definitely not out of question in this world to have leaders of schools or leaders of organizations that are that are willing to go into the gray area of things to make sure they get what they believe is needed.
0: Yeah, like for the greater good perhaps?
1: For the greater good. So uh, after this punishment happens, uh, it's effective immediately because as Alex and Larry are leaving Dean Grimm's office, they make sure to stay apart from each other so that they don't get turned back into rats. Alex goes back to her room and she has a conversation with Anna Chu about what happened about the punishment. Anna's very concerned that Alex got expelled, which, of course, we know didn't happen. And Anna, uh, once again, plays the calm voice of reason here. Alex is more upset about the fact that David's also getting punished and she's worried that David's never going to want to talk to her again. And Anna kind of helps her talk through that and and realize that she did really screw up. But that doesn't mean forgiveness isn't a a possibility.
0: Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, Anna also brings up that she appreciates what Alex did, because, I mean, Larry and the rashes, they were targeting Anna on the broom. And while that's not part of the discussion with Miss Grimm or with the teachers, Anna knows that part was true.
1: Anna does know that part was true, and uh, again, we're seeing a a bond here between Alex and some of her her, uh, peers that are the same age as her. Just that they think that she's acting kind of rashly, but they're also aware enough to know that she's trying to do it with their best interests in mind. Yeah.
2: The cool thing, too, is I think Alex is starting to trust Anna also because in a later scene when trouble is happening in the cafeteria and Alex is literally about to hit this guy over the head with a, a tray, which I assume probably wouldn't feel good and also probably once again would wind her up in the dean's office. Anna says, no, don't do that. And then Alex looks at her and sees the You know, the the sad face of Anna, like, oh, no, Alex is going to get herself in trouble again. And she, like, completely stops and kind of submits to Anna's wishes. And and I just thought it was a cool thing that that Alex is beginning to trust these other characters.
1: Yeah, she is. And uh, we then have a conversation with David, which, of course, he's very upset because he wanted to go play Quidditch. He wanted to try out for the Quidditch team. And they have this long conversation uh, where even Darla and Angelique get in on the conversation, and they're not really concerned about Alex's side of things, but they agree that it's not fair that everybody else is going to get punished when Alex acts out. And I kind of thought it was funny where it just says Angelique, when she hears this, scoots a little bit further away from Alex, like as if that's going to matter in the end. It just made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah,
0: I was going to point that out if you didn't. Just a little comedy of like... uh distancing herself a little from Alex like I'm not really her friend
2: <laughs> one thing interesting about that that scene is Alex is clearly upset about that which I think like we've determined you know she has a right to be upset that Dean Graham is punishing her her friends instead of her but uh, there's a couple cool lines I thought she says it's not my fault that Dean decided to punish my friends maybe she doesn't want me to have any friends and then we see the the Moral voice of the group, let's say. Constance and Forbearance come in and say, maybe she wants you to behave. And then Forbearance says, it is a thought. And then, but we see Alex kind of angrily stare them down and they kind of submit. But I just thought it was a,
1: once again, Alex kind of calms down after hearing that, I think. She does. As a side note to that, if I was Alex and they said that to me, I would probably lose my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Well, even just a couple lines later, I wanted to point out, too. David mutters hard-headed, and then Constance and Forbearance finish with troublesome, so it's kind of funny that the whole group, Ozarker or, or not, is really getting in on that nursery Ryan.
1: They are, and you know, Alex really is troublesome at this point. Whether she's some troublesome of Ozarker or legend or not, we don't know, but she has a nose for trouble that we just see over and over and
0: over. Wandmaker Pfisterholtz, the seer of America. I
1: mean, he did predict it, I suppose. Uh, after that, Alex and Larry have to go back to detention. Uh, Mr. Journey kind of says, why are you here still? You shouldn't be getting in trouble. I wish you wouldn't be getting in trouble. And as this conversation is going on, Larry decides to contribute as well by saying something and taking a step closer to Alex and she notices that his incisors are starting to grow longer as if he's getting ready to turn into a rat. And so this punishment is real. We know that it's real.
0: Yeah, I also enjoy throughout the chapter that Alex and Anna and even other people start referring to Larry as looking more and more rat-like throughout. So it's kind of funny to see the uh, parallels from the punishment.
2: Well, it kind of makes you think, like, Alex, I think, is able to, like, stomach kind of some of her intentions or some of her impulses, I guess, when she's talking about Larry. In the negative way, but maybe uh, Larry is speaking ill of Alex behind her back, and that's why he's starting to look more rat-like.
1: That is something that's potentially going on here, and um, we see this come to play as we get further into the chapter, but before we get there, Alex, her focus has kind of shifted, and I found this interesting upon reading this, that she's... Now that she realizes she can't just retake the spawn whenever she wants to, her academic focus kind of shifts away from school all of a sudden. It's as if she's decided to return to old form and focus on things that interest her rather than things that could uh, make her better as a student. And I think it's kind of interesting that she spent so much time with these clockwork golems that she's now checking out books to study about the clockwork golems and see if she can manipulate them somehow. But she doesn't do that,
2: luckily, because <laughs> she doesn't want to find herself in trouble again.
0: Hopefully, hopefully that's the reason. That's true. She kept it to one manipulation this uh, throughout the book so far.
1: True, true. She did, and uh, in fact, to your point, it actually says that her behavior over the next few weeks was remarkably better than it had been, uh, and that, that's probably because of the punishment that Dean Graham has already laid down on Alex, but it's nice uh, that she could at least spend a little bit of time not being the, the troublemaking kid that we know her as at this point in the book. It even gets to the point where David forgives her for causing him to not be able to play Quidditch, which is good because he was her first ally in this entire story, right? He was the first person, at least when it comes to magical people, that kind of was by her side.
0: Yeah, definitely good to maintain those relationships. I mean, you're going to go through the thick and thin with them, but at the end of the day, you got to try to preserve them the best you can. Kind of a neat scene
2: here, too, in almost against their character, in a way, Darla and Angelique are kind of consoling David because obviously he was upset about not being able to play Quidditch, but at the same time, they were saying, usually 6th grade students don't make the team anyways, so... Yes, you missed out on the semester of broom games, but there's plenty of more years to come
1: where you would be more likely be on the team anyways. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I I think that there's obviously room for character growth, right? And as they spend more time around each other, much like it is in the real world, you learn things about people that, uh, that make you feel better about them or you get more comfortable around them. And so we're seeing some of that happening with this group of sixth graders. At Charmbridge. Um, My favorite part of the chapter is next. And it's just this idea. There's a whole bunch of, of description about the fact that people have somehow found out about this jinx that's been put on Alex and Larry. And as kids do, instead of minding their own business, they are purposely trying to get them close enough to turn them into rats. Which, thinking back to middle school... This is totally something people would be doing, right? Absolutely.
0: This fits pretty well. I mean, it's no surprise that it talks about it happening time and time again because it would be very difficult to try to actively avoid people not knowing who's out to get you.
2: What I was thinking when I read this, you guys kind of talked about it earlier, how Dean Graham's punishment, you know, had had a an area where potential danger would be coming in, where you know Alex or or Larry could potentially get killed or something like that. Here was another area because you think about it, they're in, let's say a main hallway. It's between a class. They get, they get tricked into getting turned into rats here. And then the bell rings and the class stampedes out steps on them. It's just like, once again, I don't really know
1: if, Dean Graham totally thought this through, you know?
0: Yeah, the know. other thing I was wondering throughout this is what's the punishment for the people that are using her jinx not as intended?
1: I was wondering exactly that when I was reading this too. Is there a punishment for these kids or is the fact that they're doing this
0: part of the original punishment? Yeah, you know? and I know that this leads up eventually to a time with Stuart and Torvald, the two uh, jinx slingers or whatever that we meet on the bus in the first couple chapters. But it sounds like it's been quite a few people that have abused this magic for the comedy and we don't hear anything in this chapter about any punishments handed out for that side.
2: I wonder the- if it's one of the things where like
1: it happens and then they're like, Alright, let's deuce. We had our we had our laughter. Let's get out of here. I think it's definitely like that. This is I this is a hit and run type of prank for sure.
0: But even then, if a teacher has to revert the um, jinx every time as it appears after Anna picks them up from the Stuart and Torvald prank, surely they're gonna tell the teacher Oh, the reason we did this is because these two pushed us together. Like I mean, they're not going to say, "Yeah, we were just hanging out." Like that's not going to be a valid excuse.
1: In a normal world for sure, right? But I'm what I'm wondering is has Alex and Larry garnered so much of a reputation already that when this happens, the teachers just
0: go, "Oh, they tried to get in a fight again."
1: You know, Certainly and just move on be. with their with their day. Because
0: alternatively, like what you said, with maybe it's part of the punishment. Maybe Dean Grim sent a little notice through their uh, uh, newsletter or whatever they use in the magical teaching world and said, "Hey, by the way, I have this jinx on these two. Whatever, let them turn into rats anytime." I, I bet it was a magical decree nailed to the wall. Right? Possibly. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: But yeah. So I I'm wondering the same exact thing because you would hope that there wouldn't be just blanket approval for people abusing what's going on here. That's, that's again, another step over the top of what is probably appropriate as a punishment here, but it does make for some pretty funny scenes. Right. Uh, and it's during this time that it does describe that Larry is starting to look more and more like a rat, which I think you might be right. Baylor saying that he's probably doing something behind the scenes because, uh, Alex, it's not noted that Alex is starting to look more like a rat, and I think we would hear about that if that was the case. Yeah,
0: and Alex even points out in the chapter that he she thinks that when he is hexing people in the dueling club, he's probably thinking of her while doing it.
1: I mean, so I think that you're probably right, because I think the alternative is way too over the top, because the alternative is that this is a jinx that slowly was meant to purposely turn them into rats over time anyways, and if that's the case, man, we're we're talking the next level of abuse here.
0: The other alternative, maybe not quite as abusive, is this is a 13-year-old boy going through puberty, and his dad happens to look like a rat. You that know,
1: could also be the case, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I could see that.
1: <laughs> Which, again, if Dean Grimm knows that...
0: That would be hilarious. <laughs> is, what a psychological <laughs> warfare.
1: <laughs> uh... The only other thing I of note from this section about them about them uh being forced to be close together so that they turn into rats is we learned that there's a game that's played in the magical world called hexum where it's like a it's like a pissing match between boys right where they just hex each other with progressively worse things until somebody finally says that's it I can't handle it anymore yeah it's good old hit for hit and we see that the the nurse that's at Charmbridge has the same medical approach that Madame Pomfrey did at Hogwarts. As long as you can walk and talk, I'm not going to question what happened to you. I'm just going to fix you. Yeah, and these are hexes
2: that are like enlarging their teeth, putting boils on their face, you know that kind of stuff. And we even see one kid who did play a hexum game, and the the nurse at the school wasn't able to even correct his his boils on his
1: face. So now he just
2: has acne. Permanently, it seems like. And I I believe that was Torvald.
1: Yeah, that's Torvald. And it's just because he's played it so much. He's like, he's been infused with hexed magic. And so he's got acne now. But he's also a seventh grader. So I mean, yeah. The acne is going to be there anyways, right?
0: Yeah. He's become like the wish.com version of a horror crux. but for acne. (laughs) Boy. Uh, Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor.
1: We do get past all of this finally. Um, Alex and Larry head back to detention again with Mr. Journey, and they're going to go to a new place now, right? They've cleaned much of the castle. They're moving up to a new place where they're going up to the attic where they have to clean everything out so that they can have their annual anti-doxy fumigation, uh, which we've seen doxies before, right? The the Order of the Phoenix deals with Doxies when they're cleaning out one of the rooms at Number 12 Grimald Place. Uh, and so we know that they've got a little bit of a poison or a toxin in them when they bite people. And Alex's first thought is, hmm, how can I get a hold of one of those? Which Lord only knows what she might do with one of those if she got a hold of it. But uh, Mr. Journey says, no, <laughs> you better not do that. Let's just avoid doing something like that.
0: I am surprised, though, that he says, let me and the clockworks deal with them. I feel like the clockworks would be relatively useless in that kind of
1: endeavor. I think, I mean, if it's like how it was in the original series, where they were spraying something called doxicide in the air, the clockworks could probably handle that. But if it's actually catching them and doing something to them, Lord only knows what the clockworks are going to do, right? Right. Maybe Dean Grimm's
2: uh, idea here with the clockwork golems is to it's actually a hidden in plain sight army that at a single word
1: will arm up and and go all out on whoever the enemy is so this is like i'm imagining professor McGonagall before the battle of hogwarts mobilizing all the suits of armor in the castle yeah, yeah exactly you know which by the way that's the best scene from any of the movies in my opinion I oh, absolutely really loved that scene
0: i like yeah. it more in the books in the movie she seems like almost childish after she casts it but in the movie, she keeps that like serious posture. Yeah, I
1: mean, it was just a nice payoff for her, right? Cause That's her, fair. Her character spends seven books being so serious, but yeah. at any rate, they go up to the attic, and it turns out that it's not an attic like you'd have in your home. It's enormous with multiple rooms, uh, and it's so big that they have to have a map. And he says, "Don't don't get lost." And if if you have to have a map, and they shouldn't get lost, just go with them. Yeah, you know. You're, it's, again, a recipe for disaster.
0: Well, I think, too, he can't really be with both of them because I think he's sending them different directions for the uh, hex. Oh, that's
1: that's a good point.
2: Yeah. Know? Not only is he mentioning the doxies, but he also says, hey, if there's any ghosts or poltergeists, let me know. And I thought that was interesting because in Hogwarts,
1: the ghosts are just there. like Like, they don't care if they're there. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, <laughs> this is important. There's a statement where he says, It's a school policy not to have ghosts and poltergeists, which the poltergeist part, if they're like peeves, the poltergeist, it kind of makes sense because that guy was borderline dangerous at some points. But he says most of the wizarding world still hasn't embraced the rights of the non-living and the dean is no exception. Yeah. So are we meant to believe that Britain in itself is like a, a haven for ghosts? What happens to the ghosts that decide to come back to undeath in other countries you know where do they go you know
0: yeah so i actually have a little bit of thought on this when i was reading this earlier today i think that it might be different in places that weren't as um industrialized early i guess or maybe not industrialized is the right word but you look at britain i have a friend that lives down over in london and every house on his street was built before the united states was a country so you have all these generations of people that could be historically prominent coming back as ghosts. Whereas in the U.S., we only have, what, four, five, maybe six generations of people that could have been turned into ghosts at this point. So you're going to have a lot less of them. And I think you could see that throughout the world in other areas as well that weren't as prominent until the 20th century. Right. Well, yeah, I think you're right
1: as far as that assessment goes. I'm just wondering, where do the ghosts go? that it's a guarantee, right? It's silly to think that there's not people in America who die and choose to come back, right? So then what happens to them is what I'm wondering here. Because if they're not allowed to be places, if they don't have rights, then what a sad existence. I mean, more sad than being a ghost it already is. Yeah,
0: that's true. I wonder if they just relocate them to, like, cemeteries or something. But even so, what a sad world compared to what we've seen in Hogwarts. My I had always wondered this about the Harry
2: Potter series and I don't you guys might be able to fill me in on something that maybe JKR said, but I always wondered how a ghost like the Bloody Baron or Moaning Myrtle or whoever chose to come back or was able to come back and, and be a ghost instead of going wherever Harry's parents
0: went, for instance, or whatever. I think we get an answer to that from um nearly headless Nick in the books, don't we? Uh, we get an explanation of why Sirius wouldn't come
1: back, but we don't really get an explanation of the process behind that choice. I guess in my mind it's the whole unfinished business thing or the death came from an unsatisfying means or from an unsatisfying life, and so you're just saying I want to have more time, but I don't really I'm not an expert here, so I don't really know. Yeah. So I don't know. We're we see that we just get told that ghosts don't have rights. The undead, the non-living, don't have rights here, and so they're they're sent to seek out any of those as well.
2: And so, one thing I just wanted to mention one last time. Sorry to go back to the ghost thing, but I just thought there was a really neat reference to Moaning Myrtle that in Rarity. Oh yes, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, they, you know, they got told about the ghosts, and then Larry said, "Are you scared?" And she said, a ghost would be better company than you. Just stay on your side of the map. And then he said, don't worry, Troublesome. Maybe I'll get lucky and you'll become a ghost. I bet you would wind up haunting one of the toilets. Yeah, right, she scoffed. Only a moron would think a ghost could haunt a toilet. Ooh, what a burn.
1: (laughs) Sick burn right there.
0: Yeah, Moaning Myrtle in shambles across the sea.
1: Throwing some ultimate shade at Moaning Myrtle right there. But, that I mean, that was another good reference to... uh, another good reference to the original series that wasn't like in your face. Brady, you I think you, you could agree miss with it and me. It was cool.
0: Yeah, you agree with me where it's like the way this lives within the Harry Potter universe is perfect. Like there's references, but it doesn't rely on that story at all. So like you get these little like images back to the original series, but there's no part of the story that feels like it hinges on the original series. I agree with
1: that. It's a it's a separate it's a separate story in the same universe and the small references it's like it's like having a nice piece of candy while you're doing your chores or something you yeah know?
0: It, it's almost like the mcu does this a lot of the times recently where you'll have all this stuff happening with the avengers and then you'll have something else happening with some one-off hero that you've never heard of that hasn't been impacted but you can still see small remnants for, of the original stuff
1: yeah it's definitely nice as you're reading through this to go oh hey i recognize that and then move on enjoying the story. Yeah, it's great. It's cool. So Alex takes her clockworks, and she starts dusting rooms and cleaning things out, and she makes note that if Charmbridge's layout is confusing already, the attic is insanely confusing, and it's hard to get around in. It's cramped. There's uh, doors up there that don't match what is on the map that was given to them by Mr. Journey, and... She eventually enters a room where the dust is so thick that it feels like her throat is filling up with it. And she goes through a door and the door locks behind her and she can't backtrack anymore, which is not good because now she's lost. Mm -hmm. Right. And she even says, this has got to be bad for me. And so as an 11 year old, I guess an 11 year old who was not Alex Quick, I again would have been losing my mind right now. I was would definitely be thinking I was going to die.
2: I'll tell you, when I first read through this, initially this wasn't really a red flag to me because I knew from, like, Hogwarts and stuff, crazy things happen. Staircases move, you know, ghosts, poltergeists, whatever. And so initially when I read this, I was like, oh, it's just one of those special magical doors, I guess, that she messed up opening. Maybe it's on the map, says do not open. <laughs> you know, but... uh, as we'll
1: see, I I don't think it was on accident. It's, uh, certainly questionable because as she spends time in this room, she first opens a window to let herself breathe, which was a smart idea and almost kind of felt like I was getting a breath of fresh air too. You know, having read the description of what, how she feels in this room. Um, I just
2: wanted to say, um, props to Inverarty here. I thought, the, the piece of writing when he was explaining the window scene, like you said, it, you felt like you were taking a breath of fresh air. I just thought it, like, slowed all the chaos down, and so I just thought it was really good writing. I just did. wanted to point that out It was there.
1: a nice brief reprieve because then immediately afterwards, she accidentally runs into the same room that Larry elbows in, and they turn into rats, and here we are. They're rats, like you pointed out, Delbert, in a dangerous situation, out of the control of adults. This is not good. Because they can't turn themselves back into humans, right? Now they're stuck as rats. And here comes that putty cat. Yeah, the cat shows back up, right? And this time it's not under the watchful eye of Dean Grimm. It's just up there as a cat. And so all of a sudden, instead of being two rats under the watchful eye of a cat who's not going to kill them, Alex and Larry very much feel like prey. Yeah, and... I mean
2: the the cat is you know stocking up to them getting ready to pounce and if like you said if I was 11 year old if I was an 11 year old I would be freaking out I would also be freaking out in this situation and we see Larry is doing that he's saying they're shaking can't move but Alex is seemingly calm as can be and is like, I need to get the hell out of here so this cat doesn't pounce on me. And she moves just in time, the cat, the cat and just misses her.
0: Yeah, and she's even got the wherewithal to go over and bite Larry to get him out of his disarray so he can start getting out of the way and trying to survive as well.
1: Yeah, it, this is pretty scary, actually. I mean, really, as a reader, this is a good time to be scared for the characters because it, it even makes a note. Like, the cat is faster and stronger They're not used to being rats. They're getting tired. It's almost as if the cat's just playing with them, like playing with its food before it strikes.
0: Yeah, and this is a deep cut, like probably just an inside reference between the three of us, but we've played a board game called Mice and Mystics where in the first level you have to battle a cat, and I think the first three or four times, even with a full party, we died to that cat every single time. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I was just, as I was just...
1: recanting this I was thinking of that feeling as well because it felt hopeless a lot yeah. of the time and if I'm if I'm Alex and Larry here I'm starting to feel a bit hopeless too right obviously two rats are no match for a cat also yeah. shout out Lily the
0: best character in Mice and Mystics that's
1: questionable <laughs>
2: Uh, do you guys do you guys think that Alex saved Larry's life by biting his tail and moving him
0: yeah, I think so. I think had a stationary rat been sitting in front of a cat, it's not likely to survive. Yeah.
1: So you think the cat was there to kill and not just playing with them? I it mean. It feels that way. I mean, yeah. it's certainly made to feel that way. And uh, at some, she saves his life by biting his tail, but they're both saved because uh, Charlie shows up. Right? And Charlie causes a ruckus, which alerts Mr. Journey to what's going on. And then he shows up and- Uh, kind of things settle down after that. But again, this is the second time this book that we've seen Charlie save Alex's life. And that's probably a big deal, right? Charlie is a very useful familiar at this point.
0: Yeah. I really enjoy seeing that, uh, Charlie is the ex machina of this so far where anytime there's a big problem, he's the solution. But it makes sense with how a familiar and a wizard are basically intertwined. So he would know that she was in danger and she had opened the window and he has free flight because she leaves her window in her dorm open as well.
2: Well, it's cool, too, because Emberardi wrote it where it kind of you feel like it's the end because they do get caught by the cat. Like the cat has uh, Alex in her in uh, his, I'm assuming his teeth and has caught Larry by the tail with his paw. And in the first time Charlie saved him, they were falling obviously from the invisible bridge and Alex had done her spell and nothing had happened immediately. And so it's just kind of a cool thing how Charlie's like, Oh, we'll come in and save the day, you know, at the last possible second. So.
1: Yeah. And so that is nice that it's been built in, right? We, this isn't something that we're like, Oh wow. How did Charlie manage to save them? There's been things set up to help out with that. And so, uh, Luckily, they get saved, and Alex is right. After this, she's right. She questions, are you sure that map was right? How is it possible that that we got so lost in the attic? And Journey says, well, yeah, I'm sure it's right. Rooms don't move. Not at Charmbridge anyways, which, of course, there's another small reference. Another in great there. callback. Uh, and Larry just says, I got lost. That's what happened. And Alex... Also got lost, but she's not really willing to admit that necessarily. She's blaming it on the map being incorrect. Well, uh, if it was incorrect, and that's just good intuition on her part.
2: Yeah. Well, the reason I asked you guys earlier is if if you thought the cat was trying to kill them was because Ben Journey also says that cat was just playing with you guys. Like, there's no way the dean's cat would would kill
1: you. I mean, the cat didn't back off until Charlie. Had made multiple assaults on it, so it feels like the cat was probably trying to kill and not trying to just play around.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he says, I don't think the cat would have eaten you, but, like, I had cats growing up. They very rarely would try to eat a mouse. They would just play with it until it died.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, it's also, it's an animal, you know, like, like you can only train an animal to do so much. I know it's still a magical familiar, so to speak, but... I mean, animals are going to have
1: animalistic impulses, you know. So, That's exactly right. We see that in real life all the time. Uh, After all this happens, Alex, of course, has that conversation with Mr. Journey about the map being incorrect. Uh, She goes back to her room, and first of all, she thanks Charlie, and she lets him play with the locket because that's what he wants as a reward. And that was... uh, First of all, good of her to acknowledge that he saved her. Okay. And secondly, maybe him saving her gave her a little bit more trust in him because she willingly hands over the locket. She doesn't fight him on it.
0: Yeah, and thirdly, she does say, you can play with it, but I'm not going to let you fly off and hide it again. So my suspicions, even though I've read this twice now, last chapter of him having taken the locket out of the cage and hiding it somewhere seems to be true.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Well, she I she not also... realize
0: that. She
2: also locks him in a cage too, which
1: she does close and lock the door. So the trust probably isn't totally there, but uh, the fact that she lets him take it anyways is probably a step that direction. And so then Alex tells Anna what happened. And of course, Anna is appropriately horrified at the story. Mm -hmm. She says, you could have been killed or eaten. And Alex says, yeah, that's what I said too. But Mr. Journey just brushed it off and said he was just playing around. And then Alex says, And you know what? That's twice I've almost been killed. I think I know who's trying to kill me. Yeah, this was mind-blowing at
0: this time. (laughs) Yeah, and Anna's like, you think someone's trying to kill you? And she's like, oh, not only that, I know who it is. Exactly,
1: and so, uh, interestingly enough, she accuses Dean Grimm.
0: Bum, bum, bum. That's the
1: person she thinks is trying to kill her. From Alex's perspective... Do you guys think that that's an appropriate judgment on her part?
0: I think she's either really unlucky or someone has it out for her would be a very reasonable conclusion at this point to come up with. Yeah.
2: From what I know about the Harry Potter series and this series up to this point, there's typically no coincidences in the magical world, especially when something like 12, 15, I don't know how many new students there were, walk across the Invisible Bridge, and then the last two fall Fall, what would be to their death. So I think that this is a, complete, a completely fair accusation, especially because magical familiars are typically only loyal to their owner. And so I don't think a student could have taken, uh, what's his name, Galen or something?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think they could have taken Galen from Dean Grimm's office and placed him in the attic
0: and Galen would have been okay with it like I feel like the cat would have freaked out probably and not allowed it. Well that's another thought right like not only would you have to go find the cat but first off it would be easier to do in a different manner and second off that means you're probably approaching Dean Grimm and as we've seen in the students they don't want to do that.
1: That's true they don't want to do that and so next episode we're gonna start by talking about uh whether or not you believe it is Dean Grimm or if you think it might be somebody else who's trying to kill Alex that Uh, works but yeah she says Anna says why would the Dean want to kill you it doesn't make any sense and Alex just says I'm sure she has a reason and I'm going to find out before she tries again and that's where the chapter ends setting up but I can only imagine uh, it's going to be more problems for Alex in the future that she kind of brings on herself but you know If I thought somebody was trying to kill me, I would want to know who it is also, so it's fair. And so that's the end of the chapter. Uh, I guess we can hop right into the casting segment. Delbert, if you're ready for that.
0: Yeah, so didn't really meet any new prominent characters here, so I figured we'd go back and fill in a gap. And we would cast Anna Chu. And once again, this is a child actor, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I know. But I did come up with one, and... We'll find out what you guys have as well.
1: Yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and start. Uh, for Anna, you know, we know that she's of Chinese descent. And so I wanted to try to stick to that as much as I could. Uh, finding s- child actors who are current and also specifically of Chinese descent was a little bit difficult. But I have watched a few episodes of the show Dr. Ken. And so. I went ahead and went with a person from the show, Dr. Kin, named Krista Marie Yu. I don't know very much about her, um, other than I do like some of the acting that she does in that show. And while I don't know necessarily if she's played before a person who plays kind of the the wise voice of reason in the area or not, I do um, feel like she could play the role well enough and so that's who I went with again it's Krista Marie Yu from the show Dr. Kin with Kin Jung
2: yeah I think that's a a great casting I've I've never personally watched anything I don't think with her in it but um, I know that that show is a good show
1: so this this casting was a little bit more difficult if you wanted to stay as true to it as possible I thought
0: yeah I agree Baylor who did you end up with
1: so I decided to go with someone who
2: wasn't a, of Chinese descent, but she is an Asian American. And it might surprise people, uh, I actually went with Haley Seinfeld. And she's obviously well known for uh, Pitch, Pitch Perfect and several other movies that are, you know, high grossing movies in the box office. So I, I just think she'd play a really good role, especially more of a subdued kind of shy role i think she would be actually really good at
0: yeah i mean she's got great credits to her name already she was in the uh arcane show that just came out recently she's in hawkeye brady i know you and i are huge into pitch perfect and we see her there for a <laughs> couple of them so yeah i
1: look she's got the credentials to be somebody you would want in a movie you were casting yeah. and uh On top of that, I think she's a really good actress. Yeah, I think she's incredible. And with the challenges of finding somebody who was of Chinese descent, I do think she fills the role well.
0: Yeah. So, I actually, I had two choices here. The first I went with was Elodie Fong, and I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. But if you guys have seen Shang-Chi, she is the child actor that portrays the past version of the title character's sister. When I looked her up, though, she appears to be, like, five. I thought she was older (laughs) in the movie, but it didn't really fit my uh, thought process. So instead, I went with Melody B. Choi. And this is the first time I'm going with someone that I haven't actually seen act. It was mostly just the picture of her that convinced me. Um, But for anyone that's interested, she is in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the 2014 Godzilla movie. She's a little bit older now, so she'd have to be aged down like Haley Steinfeld. But I do think she fits the uh, description quite well.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, this this week was more challenging. I think it's going to be more challenging when we're talking about the the kids that are in this story anyways. And so, uh, I don't know. I think we done good.
0: Yeah, I think it was intelligent by <laughs> Warner Brothers and all involved that when it came to the kid actors, they just casted a ton of unknowns. Like, for the original uh, movies, I think that was the way to go. Realistically, if you were going to bring this to production, I think that's how it would be done the best here, too. But, since we're trying to find casting members, we have to find someone that's been in something. Yeah, no,
2: I completely agree with that. Well, I feel like, in the acting world, there's so little, like, famous child actors that they just... That's kind of where their start happens, is they're an unknown act, actor, actress, and then they play in a show as a child, and then
1: they pop off I from mean, that. I mean, yeah, right. How many people knew about Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grant before the first Harry Potter movie? Nobody. Yeah, you and know. even
0: when you do see child actors, I mean, sometimes you forget who they were. Like, I knew Selena Gomez from Wizard of Waverly Place, but then I also found out, as a person who was raised in the Barney era, that she was also on that show. Right. So, as a four or five-year-old
1: yeah and I think you when you are an adult, you pay less attention to the child actors anyways, right? And mm-hmm. so, if we were doing this when I was when we were younger, maybe I would have had a better insight, but I certainly didn't for this one. so
0: yeah, and actually, one thing I wanted to discuss too, was specifically on this casting is it was a big deal three or four years ago with crazy rich Asians about bringing Asian culture into Hollywood more prominently. So hopefully we see more child actors of Asian descent because it was hard to find some. I mean, it, it seems to be getting better the last couple of years, but I know before that they were not very prominent in Hollywood.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the idea, right? Is hopefully we're seeing more diversity everywhere. And so um, I guess that's the soapbox we're standing on at the moment <laughs> yeah, of this episode. There we go. But we, uh, those are the people that we've casted. Go ahead and take a look at those on our socials and let us know who you think who you think fits the role best. Uh, You can find that information on Instagram predominantly, but you can check all our socials for some of that stuff. And with that, I suppose, Baylor, we're going to hop into the prediction segment. Um, You may have noticed last week we attempted to put in a little sound effect um, between present day and your previous prediction. And I think what we're going to do is We're going to try several different ones and we're just going to let the people kind of let us know what they think is best. Um, So tell us on our discord which sound effects you like most. I'm especially speaking with those of you in the discord right now because uh, we appreciate your feedback and we check that fairly often. So uh, let us know. But with that, Baylor, go ahead and send us to your prediction from last episode. So for
2: chapter 11, my prediction is I think this visit to the Dean's office will result in a far worse punishment than just cleaning. Um, I think both Larry and Alex are grounded from broom flying and broom games for the rest of the year. And I think they both will be given another two weeks of detention. But instead of with Ben Journey, it'll be with someone who maybe in the early stages of the book we've come to, to love to hate, and that is Mr. Grew, maybe, potentially. Something nasty like cutting the eyeballs out of dead fish. I don't know. Whatever they do for potions. (laughs) Um, And then I also think Larry and the Rashens will get even with Alex about the clockwork Golem situation. I just don't know how.
1: Alright, you guys just heard uh, Baylor's prediction from last episode about chapter 11. I want to start by saying that every point you've made until the last one was correct in some fashion, for sure. A yeah. little uh, bit
0: short on the detention duration.
1: Yeah, I mean, but they did get more detention. They were banned from broom games and flying on brooms, and the punishment was significantly worse. Yeah. So the th- those three things, for sure, I think you did a great job on. The last point where you said that the Rash Twins were going to get even... I don't know that we can grade that quite yet, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been mentioned thus far. We can maybe assume something's in the works, but it wasn't brought out this chapter.
1: Right, and so as far as grading this one goes, I think it was almost spot on. A few details missing, but uh, past that, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Do you have a, a grade in mind?
0: I... I don't think we can give him the top of top marks, but maybe just slightly lower. That's where I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, I agree that we can go with the second one down, which is...
0: Man, I cannot remember.
2: It is
0: one... I know point. in the Wizarding World, is it it's exceeds expectations. Exceeds expectations. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. What is uh, the
1: top one? Outstanding? In, in the Wizarding World, it's, out, it's outstanding. Oh, superior, right. Superior. And superior. So, yeah, I think we can go with an excellent here. Yeah. I mean, now that we've remembered what it is, I think it fits. Everything was there. It just wasn't
0: exact. Yeah. Plus, the more time I spend with Baylor, the less I want to fail him. It's like a little <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, so... I do have that effect on people. That's why I Stockholm got a, syndrome effect on people. Yeah, that's why I was a vegetarian mm. in high Might school. Might not want to admit that <laughs>
1: one. Uh, so go ahead and mark down an excellent for that one, Baylor. I think it was it was pretty well done. And once you've done that, why don't you go ahead and give us a prediction for chapter twelve? For the next chapter, my prediction is Alex and her friends.
2: Uh, I guess Alex will tell her friends that. She thinks Dean Grimm is trying to kill her because she typically doesn't keep that stuff secret, I don't think. Um, and I think her, her and her friends will devise a plan to test Dean Grimm in some way um, and see if she's behind the murder plot or if there even is a murder plot. I'm not really sure how that will happen, but I feel like it might happen. Um, and then I also think Alex will continue to behave surprisingly. But we'll attempt to get back at Torvald and Stewart by commencing them to play Hexum. Because that's kind of mentioned at the back, at the end of the chapter.
1: Yeah, so. and she does sound interested in what Hexum is as well. So I think that's a fair prediction for sure. I mean, if you thought somebody was trying to kill you, you'd probably try to prove it or not. Yep.
0: Uh, and with that... Can I request one more thing? Yes. Just a yes or no, Baylor. Long-term prediction here is Dean Grimm trying to kill Alex? Initially, yes. I think so. Okay.
1: All right. So with that, we uh, can go ahead and end the episode. Uh, Really great discussion. Once again, we managed to keep this one a little bit shorter than we have in the past, which is, you know, always good, I suppose. Lightens the load on the listeners a little bit. Lightens the load on editing, but uh, lots of cool stuff in this episode and ending it on not really a cliffhanger but it definitely makes you wonder what's going to happen next as far as who Alex thinks is or who is trying to kill Alex if that's actually happening or if she's just being a paranoid 11 year old
0: yeah I know I say I'm excited every week but I'm really starting to get excited because I know that the plot's about to start speeding up
1: yeah it definitely feels like it's ramping up now for sure we've, we've laid a lot of groundwork and it's time for some action I can't wait uh, so with that we'll go ahead and end the episode I'd like to uh just implore everybody to give us a review on iTunes or give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, We've kind of maybe reached the point where we've asked everything we can of our family and friends. And so we'd like this thing to grow and you can help us by sharing this podcast with other people and giving us reviews so that it gets pushed out to more and more people. We do appreciate it. We do. And so uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and be done. I just Like to uh, remind everybody that it's the holiday season, so uh, mind your P's and Q's, or you're going to spend it as a rat. Good night.